So, hello and welcome to ASI cast number 166. I'm Richard Marks, ASI's Research Director. Now, Mike Sainsbury and I have been enjoying Evan Shapiro's recent articles and posts on all things media. I think many of you may have seen the media map of the world, which he created for Deadline and has cropped up all over the internet. We'll put a link in the show notes just in case you haven't. Evan charts media's future through his essays on the Media War and Peace newsletter and with his change agency, ESHAP. His background before that is in TV production, including a favourite show of mine, Portlandia. So welcome to the show, Evan. Thanks so much. Now, Evan, what prompted us to invite you onto this pod specifically was a recent column of yours, What's in a Name, which we particularly enjoyed as it focused on a topic that's very close to our hearts at ASI, which is the importance of using media terminology correctly, or at least understanding what it means. You've described yourself as a media cartographer, so I guess it must be quite hard to map the territory if the destinations and place names aren't labelled properly. Was there a particular flashpoint that inspired you to write about the misuse of language? Yes, I mean, there. I've uh, I've been asked to speak a, a great deal lately about something called fast free ad supported streaming television, and then um, you know, I, I uh, at these conferences you hear uh, terminologies bandied about, such as fast or AVOD or SVOD or OTT, and what winds up happening, especially at a, a conference like IBC or or any you know, you know, I was at Royal Television Society. Right immediately after that, you 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 hear people kind of use competing terminology or nomenclature, and then just confusion ensues. Um, and the confusion creates ambiguity. Ambiguity creates anxiety. Anxiety creates, you know, frankly, a, a, a tremendous amount of stasis. Um, and in order to make progress. Um, you know, it's Tower of Babel. You know, this is a very old story. Um, if people can't communicate correctly with each other, um, it's very difficult for them to find agreement. And if you can't find agreement, it's almost impossible to make progress. And so my hope is by demystifying the, the language we use and creating, hopefully, a, a common language for the culture of media, we can find our way through the current tumult. Um, that the media ecosystem is facing. Mm. Yeah, I think the, the Tower of Babel is a very good analogy for what is going on at the moment. I think one of the words you highlight that is often misused or, or being generous, misunderstood, is linear. Mm. How would you use that word and when wouldn't you use that word? Well, I think linear is something that is curated by someone else that's on that isn't on demand so it's a it's a it's a chronological definition regardless of whether it's streaming or on broadcast or on audio frankly um, if you, if the user can't disintermediate or interrupt the flow of content then it is linear mm. um, if it is if it is it completely at the choice or whim of the consumer well then it is very, very basically by its own definition on demand. And actually, you know, one of the inspirations for that, that piece um, that you mentioned was this um, complete um, just um, misinterpretation of the information by Nielsen of their own data. Um, they, they put out this, you know, breathless press release um, that streaming had surpassed linear 
as mm. uh, as a use case in the television ecosystem based on data that they had gotten. I think it was July's or August's um, gauge that they put out. Um, this is obviously in the United States. Um, and what's what's wrong about that is that that is just I mean, it's just a, a complete misrepresentation um, of the facts, um, because when you look at the amount of linear uh, whether it's on broadcast or on streaming, it, there is you know good amount of linear usage on both. There is also a good amount of on-demand usage on both. And so the idea that you would um, you know um, uh, call you know linear superior to streaming is just I mean it's just factually incorrect. There's a tremendous amount of linear viewing fast, you know, being one of those elements, but also in the United States we have YouTube TV and and um and Hulu Live and Spectrum Reach which are these cable systems that stream. Um mm. and so those two are linear. And so it just it, it is and it creates and then what was equally frustrating to me to be blunt was um, you know, Nielsen put out this press release that said this headline, and then literally every trade who professes to be reporting on our industry just cut and paste it. Um, they didn't ask the question. They didn't push on the details at all, at all. And so that became the story of the day. And it's just, it's, it's how an industry all goes blind simultaneously, is they just follow the leader without questioning it. And you wind up in a cul-de-sac without an exit. Yeah, it, it, that, that you've highlighted one of my particular bugbears, which is that people tend accidentally or deliberately, we can discuss that later on, to confuse content with the delivery of content. Mm -hmm. yes. yeah, but, you know, saying moving from linear to streaming is like saying you're moving from cars to roads. You're you're you're, you're switching between two totally, totally different things. And, and as we know, I mean, one of the big movements in streaming at the moment is for a lot of the uh, global companies to be bidding for sports rights. And if if sports mm -hmm. isn't linear, then God knows what isn't. Um, so I, I knew I'd work your t-shirts into the conversation. <laughs> Well, there you go. I mean, and and yeah, that, that's the thing is, you know, I last yesterday spent all day streaming live sports. Is that linear? Of course it is. I can't stop the game and make it go in a different order, or I guess I could hit pause, but it's still linear. Um, and so, you know, whether it's cricket in India or football in, in, in the UK or baseball in the United States, um, you know, streaming sports is going to become one of the key elements um, of, of rights and uh, consumption, uh, consumer uh, video consumption for the next, you know, certainly the next number of years. The, the, the prices being paid for them are astronomical. And one of the key um, benefits and attributes that um, rights buyers are getting out of sports is that it is linear on streaming, is that it is live, is that it is urgent, um, and is, is that it is not being disintermediated by the consumer via the principle of time. Yeah, it is, it's a really key point in terms of trying. I think one of the challenges is that a lot of articles, a lot of press releases, a lot of observers are trying to understand a direction of travel you know from somewhere 
to somewhere when often where you end up is actually a balance between the two. You know, it's not necessarily moving from linear to VOD, but working out what the optimum balance is between those things. I guess one obvious direction of travel is from broadcast to streaming as as a, as a means of delivery, given that some observers predict that you know broadcast may be switched off at some point in the last 20 years. So I guess that's, would you say that's arguably a more valid way of looking at things? It is. It is to a certain extent. But, you know, when the BBC becomes an entirely streamed product, which they've said that they will be in, you know, let's say by the end of this decade, um, is it no longer broadcast, even even though it is a uh, publicly mandated uh, service? Um, I guess I think we can kind of probably eventually drop that terminology in favor of streaming. But then if everything is streaming, why do we need a definition around streaming itself? It's it's all delivered, you know. It's 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 kind of like saying you know phone versus cellular uh, to use a, a kind of extension of the metaphor you, yeah. you you brought up earlier. But but I think that you bring into it a, a larger point, which is I think so much of um, you know leadership um, in media writ large um, is so focused on. Um, you know, the dichotomy um, or the binary set of choices, as opposed to a much more nuanced and, mm. you know, frankly, more complicated, um, you know, set of behaviors and processes and, 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 and inputs and outputs to define. It's, it's, it's not always going to be easy to define. Um, and therefore, you have to, you know, really um, get your head around and become much more comfortable with, um, you know, several choices um, or or a, a non-binary set of choices, because at the end of the day, the consumer, we've ceded all of the control of the media ecosystem to the consumer. They now program their media suite on their phones with their thumbs at a whim. And if you're not prepared to adapt, I mean, I, I would take it a step further in and break down the barriers between video and audio. Um, between gaming and 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 you know television, um, not necessarily you know in a moment's notice, but but in an experience, you, the consumers are using the same mm -hmm. screen to leap between these genres um, or these platforms um, elegantly within seconds. And I think the the desire of leadership to you know keep the silos solid is one of the is one of the key challenges um that we've you know inflicted on ourselves frankly well i mean we're a good, arguably we're a good example of that in that some of the people listening to you will be listening to the audio version some will be watching the video version of the content depending on what stage of the day they're at or what their right their exactly is. i mean I, I remember doing work for the bbc ages ago um, where they were tracking people's attention and I think it was only at around about five o'clock in the afternoon that more people were watching television than listening to it you know mm -hmm. having it on in the background so it, it's a <laughs> I think there's an, another sort of and uh, sort of predecessor of the this debate is actually the whole issue around the use of the word digital which does persist to this day, we you will see people talking about ad revenue shifting from television to digital, which will have 
the the TV trade bodies bouncing up and down saying, well, what about digital television? Where does that fit? But again, right. I mean, it's the connected television is now the number one video platform on the face of the earth. And, you know, regardless of how the signal got to the home, the second it goes through a connected television in the home, it is digital, isn't it? Um, you know, I don't even use channels really much anymore as much as I use apps. Um, and I just, I think we, you have to, you have to at some point abandon the things that make you feel safe in order to grow up. And we are at that, we're not at that moment. We've passed that moment. Um, the, the rigor mortis that we're seeing kicking around traditional, especially American media, um, is really disconcerting to me. Um, we, we passed the Rubicon in 2019 when Disney Plus launched their service and took up 10 million subscribers in the first month. Um, that is the moment when everything really changed forever. Um, it's just that for the most part, the mainstream big media ecosystem failed to realize it. And, and it was at that moment that big media, traditional media, um, seeded um, basically everything to big tech. Um, and on one hand, that seems dangerous and kind of, I think, a little scary to everybody, but it doesn't change the reality that if you want to reach the consumers um, that, you, that matter most to you anywhere on the planet Earth, you're going to have to go through one of four or five big tech death stars to get there, whether that's mm -hmm. on a phone or a connected television or however you get there. Um, and so, you know, the second you accept the new reality that you're living in, you can adapt to it and then, you know, to a certain extent, take advantage of it. As much as Apple and Google and Amazon and Microsoft and NVIDIA and Samsung control the pathway to the consumer, none of them, none of them are going to be able to succeed long term without the publishers that are the lifeblood. To your point, it, it, there is a difference between content and delivery. And, and as much as, you know, Google does, you know, practice in content here and there and Amazon makes shows and Apple's making shows, at the end of the day, they're tech companies. And they rely on publishers and are going to absolutely, especially in Europe, um, you know, they're, they're completely dependent on firms like the BBC and RDF and ZDF and France Television because those are public service media and they're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, the second that public service media and all the major publishers of the planet realize that they both have to work with and compete against these big tech death stars, then they can start to balance their operations around the ecosystem that we have, not the one that they miss. Mm -hmm. I think a great example of that, um, and I'm not having a go at all journalists, some, some of them do manage to uh, figure it out, but is the interchangeability of the word television itself, yeah. um, the, the, the television, the medium available on anything with a screen and an internet device compared to TV, the TV set often mm -hmm. leads to a lot of confusion. I know it's a particular um, bugbear of um, those work, those working in television that often an article in the trade press about television will be accompanied by an old fashioned 1950s TV with an aerial on top. Um, <laughs> To which their, their their comment will be, but TVs don't look like that anymore. But the question is, what what do TVs look like? How how can you 
yeah, it does. Television is named after the device that served it, in much the same way as podcasts are named after a device which no longer exists. Yeah, and and you know, and and half of podcast listening happens on YouTube. Um, the the I think yeah, I, the first time I wrote about that uh, conundrum: television, the device versus television, the experience was I think uh, ten years ago, and. Um, you know, back then I, I wrote a sentence that was something around, and I'm paraphrasing myself here, but it was something you know, constructed somewhere around the idea of television is no longer a box or a device. It is a uh, an experience. Um, it's a relationship between a storyteller and an audience. And that, I think, remains to be true. It's the same way an article has nothing to do with a magazine. You can read an article on your phone just as easily as you can read it in a printed piece of paper. Um, and so, um, you know, we, we, and I think part of the, the, the challenge that we're facing right now is that the people running, not all, but a good portion of the most powerful media companies on earth have kind of completely lost the thread of storytelling as the main point, um, and that thus, thus the, the the massive strikes that have happened in the United States and have completely disrupted, you know, the the entertainment ecosystem over the last uh, half a year. Um, there, there is this, you know, fr back from back from the days of, of of old school radio through today, a good story told over a a, a series of chapters. I'm in the process of watching an excellent television show called Drops of God um, on Apple uh, TV. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a very well-crafted story that could have very easily been written 25 years ago, 50 years ago, um, because it's about the lineage of a wine family um, and the historical sense memory of two different families, one from Japan and, and one from France. You know, it is it is as old as time itself. I don't give a shit where I'm watching it, honestly. Um, I just love that there's this process of very patient storytelling being employed by the craftspeople who made it. And, you know, it, it happens to be that I'm watching it on a device called a connected television. But it is very much TV. And is that being released on a weekly basis or did it all dump down at the same time as a box set? Do you remember? Or I believe this one was, was entirely dropped at once, but I could be wrong about that because I'm now watching it after, after it's been around for a while. Mm. But I also very much enjoyed um, the patience it took to well, watch a number of different shows that I've been watching. You know, Mayor of Easttown is a, is a really good uh, example of that. Um, you know, Euphoria, and these are both HBO shows, but the, 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 the idea that I have to wait, like that, that, that I think, you know, my family recently was like, can we watch the whole thing? I'm like, I don't actually want to watch the whole thing. <laughs> I want my brain to take a break and actually sit inside the story for a couple of days in between chapters, because boy, oh boy, I'm, I, I feel like I'm missing important nuances when I just cram it all down my throat. It's like eating a cheeseburger in two bites. Well, what, one of the reasons I, I mentioned that, you know, the episode drop specifically was that you do highlight in the 
article, the arguably the increased redundancy of some of the acronyms we're using, like SVOD, AVOD, TVOD, etc., in terms of that the, the walls are breaking down between those particular types. You know, with Netflix having advertising, with um, you know, lin um, VOD services having linear. Also, I, I do remember. <laughs> I think you may have been involved in in an, an episode of Portlandia where the main characters binge Battlestar Galactica solidly, yeah. for, uh, which I <laughs> I used about ten times uh, at, yeah, for conferences at the time when I was getting across the idea of binge watching. Of course, Netflix came on came on the back of that whole concept of the DVD box set, but now very much the norm is to be downloading episodes on certainly on Apple TV and uh, Disney Plus weekly, in other words, much like the broadcast model. So there is this tendency that the silos that we're defining media by are themselves breaking down, making it harder to say, you are that, you are that, you fit into that category. Yeah, and I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. I think, you know, most of the acronyms are created by experts who have an agenda of profit for themselves in creating the acronyms in the first place. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to drop a piece later today about the danger of the expert economy. Um, and the, the uh, I think, um, supreme confidence of a untransparent expert um, based on the their desire to retain power by being an expert themselves. And I think that's part of you know, the, the trap that we as an industry put ourselves mm. in. Um, and so I think it's, it's crucial that we become a little bit more comfortable with ambiguity. I, you know, mm. a, a, there, there's a, there's a, unfortunately a war starting in the Middle East right now, and everybody wants to decamp to black and white positions on the, on the board. Mm. And unfortunately, um, you know, that's just not a luxury we have anymore. Um, there are several different things at play in almost every circumstance that if if you don't know the full spectrum of, of what's going on behind the scenes, you're very much at risk um, of falling into a trap that someone else has set for you. Um, mm. And specifically in the media ecosystem right now, um, there is this confirmation bias amongst media writers, amongst media analysts, um, that is um, completely untransparent. Um, their access to um, certain uh, um, uh, powerful people um, is the currency by which they operate their businesses. And they don't necessarily talk about that when they are talking about the industry in a way that influences other people's behavior. And that's really really dangerous. It is actually a large part of why we are where we are right now, is mm. this, this, this set of traps we continually set for each other and our lack of um, honesty with each other about the, the, the agendas we carry into every conversation. Yeah, it's, it's certainly something the BBC has had to contend with for the last you know, multiple decades is the yeah. reporting of them by media that has a vested interest in their failure. Correct. So it, the the other aspect that I think 
sometimes feeds into our debate about names and perhaps the motivation behind how we describe things is that this increasing tendency you touched on it just then for, for everything having to be binary the irony is that you know digital inverted commas brought us the internet and the internet seemed to bring with it the idea that everything has to be binary good or right bad or right. good thumbs up or thumbs down on everything and the ability that two things can coexist and both be true seems to be um, increasingly hard hard for people to understand. That's exactly right. I, the, the, we're, we're all so wrapped up in being right all the time that we're not ever prepared to admit when we're wrong. Um, but two people can be equally right and equally wrong at the same time as well. Um, the, the, it is not a, a binary set of choices. Most of the world is no longer a binary set of choices, as much as the American political system um, would like you to believe that. Um, it is It is very much um, just it, it shades of gray. And I, that feels, I think, very uncomfortable, especially for people over a certain age. Um, unfortunately, people over a certain age don't seem to necessarily want to include opinions of those who are more comfortable with ambiguity, people under a certain age. Um, and so that, that is another, you know, wisdom doesn't necessarily always come with age. Um, experience doesn't always um, predict, um, you know, success. Um, sometimes the best ideas come from the most unexpected places. And, um, we should be right now in a competition of the best ideas, not the loudest voices. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, I feel like too much of our industry veers towards the latter and not the former. I mean, it's been fascinating talking about this. We could we could do a whole series on it. But do, do you think, as a final thought, there's any chance that we might, given what you've been saying, actually arrive at any consistency? I know... Mike and I, it's often mentioned ASI is at the heart of um, you know, the International Media Committee. And people often come to us and say, can you do a, can you do a, a dictionary, a defining word, so we can actually all agree that this word means this? We know what an impression is. We know what an impact is. Do you think that is a, an achievable goal or, or is, is actually you know, the the politics and I guess also the language translations, because bear in mind, a lot of markets are then have got the additional stage of translating, uh, an, you know, an English phrase into their local languages. Do you think the consistency is possible or is it just something we've got to live at and try and deal with as much as we can? I think it is. I think in order to get to a level of shared language, and consistent terminology and consistent kind of um, thinking across our ecosystem. Um, we have to be able to come together though and have a conversation where everyone is listening before they're talking mm -hmm. um, and everyone's talking with each other, not at each other. And that, that to me is the major blocker. Um, you know, if, if ASI or other organizations had a convening of, of individuals who came not because they had an agenda, but because they were, um, you know, proven to have a curiosity around the topic, um, then I do think 
there's a capability of, of sitting down and having a reasonable conversation about what we should call things, why, and how we change those things when it's necessary. I mean, Miriam's Webster, Miriam Webster, you know, adds words to the dictionary every year. Every year they add a slew of words to the dictionary. And I don't see a lot of people yelling at them when they do that. You know what I mean? It's kind of a, an accepted thing that each year they're going to put out a list of new words that they've added to the English language that are totally okay. Um, and I think that is um, something that can be done, um, but we all have to kind of agree to agree and agree to disagree and then be able to make progress as a result of decisions being made. But right now, I think too much of the world is frankly incentivized to yell at each other um, as opposed to talk with each other. And that to me is, is something that needs to be solved first. That sounds like a, a really good upbeat point to end on. Hopefully that we can talk to each other. We'll put links to the uh, articles we've been talking about in the show notes so people can follow up. And I look forward to, reading the article you're working on today. But in the meantime, thanks for taking time out to speak to us. My pleasure. Thanks so much.